Welcome to Drinking Bros Sports, brought to you by KillCliffCBD.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. It's officially March when the madness arrives at MyBookie. Select winners from 63 tournament games in the My Bracket contest for a chance to win 10,000 in cash prizes, and it's only a single dollar entry. Sign up today at mybookie.ag and use the promo code DRINKINGBROS to secure your deposit bonus up to $1,000. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie.ag. We got Muggsy Bogues on, uh, who's got the biggest heart in the NBA. Mm. I know a lot of people like to lead with... Uh, the smallest NBA player of all time. We don't do that. We measure by heart here. Muggsy, how are you? I'm good. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, because I feel like that 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 follows you everywhere. It's the smallest guy of all time and, and blah, blah, blah. I don't want that. I think you've got the biggest heart. You were one of my favorite players growing up. Well, I appreciate that. Unfortunately, I just can't escape that, you know, that, that label that's on me. So, uh, but I appreciate it, you know, unless... If, I, just let me know people appreciate the things I've done. And, uh, of course, you know, my heart is just as huge as anyone out there. Yeah, let me ask you, is the label pimp on you? Because it appears as if somebody is chauffeuring you around in a car right now. <laughs> yeah, this is my wife. Uh, <laughs> does she drive everywhere? Uh, point me with her, and I'm about to drop off in just a second. But I am the chauffeur. <laughs> <laughs> I have that worked out with my wife, but only after a few drinks out at Carabas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, happy wife, happy life. Exactly. And that, and that never ends. That is a moniker that will live forever. Um, <laughs> you, you've had one of the craziest careers. Uh, you played for Wake Forest. Have you been watching the tourney right now at all? I have been watching the tournament. This is the best time of the year, mm-hmm. March Madness. Because there's so many, uh, un, you know, unpredictable things that can happen. A lot of upsets. And I'm enjoying every moment of it. Yeah, I think back to uh, there's so many crazy moments that have happened in history. I mean, we, when we were coming up, uh, uh, you know, Michigan calling a timeout with no timeouts left. That was a big deal for us. You know what I mean? Yep. That was a yeah, big deal yeah, for us. Yeah. Uh, Leitner hitting that shot was a big deal for us. But even, you know, uh, in the mid-2000s, uh, 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 Steph Curry blowing it up. You know, in the, in the tournament becoming, I mean, before that, I believe he was known as uh, Del Curry's kid. And now I'm pretty sure Del Curry's known as Steph Curry's dad, right? Like things have flipped Absolutely. pretty well. Yeah, we did so, so many big moments. And, and it's, uh, man, this year has been pretty wild. That first round of games. I don't think, I, I haven't seen any analysis on this yet, uh, uh, numbers-wise. But I wonder if there have ever been that many upsets in the round of 64 before. I mean, it was crazy. Like 10, 10 games out of the 32 games were upsets, I think. The answer is uh, no, Dan. Is it no for sure? Did you did you look into that for sure? Because I don't, I don't yeah. actually know. But that's a, that's a wild ass fucking beginning to this whole stuff, and that's what we love, right? That's that's why you play yeah. the games. That's what makes college basketball in a lot of ways better than so many other sports. Like at the beginning of the season, you know, there's like maybe five NFL teams that can win the championship. You know, there's like maybe five NBA teams that can win a championship. Same thing with baseball, right? Every now and again, a wild card team will sneak in, like uh, the Florida Marlins, for example, but or the Miami Marlins, but for the most part, you know, in college basketball, you really don't know. Although Gonzaga does look like they might be out of reach, to be honest. Yeah, they might be. Uh, Muggsy, why do you think there's been so many upsets this tournament? Well, that's the nature of the game. You know, you don't get an opportunity to see some of these teams during, uh, during the course of the season. And then these guys, I mean, they can't wait to play the big-time universities. I mean, because they're talented within their own rights. You look at Loyola at Chicago. You know, they got a lot of talented players over there. Um, and I know it's been upset, especially when they beat Illinois. And, and then you look at a team like Oral Roberts. You know, they got some guys that can really oh, compete. Boy. But it happens every year. I mean, when I was playing, I mean, go back from when uh, Freddie Brown passed the mm-hmm. ball to North Carolina to James Worthy. And yep. then, you know, Lorenzo Charles, you know, dunking it at the end, beating this five slamming jammer. So there's always uh, upsets in this time, this time of year, and I'm loving it. For sure. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's one that I'm going to focus on. Dan said it. I heard your laughter, Dan. Um, it's Oral Roberts. As an Ohio State guy, the shame that I felt when Oral Roberts beat Ohio State was intense. I didn't know if I would get over it. 
Um, I was in a bathtub. I was in mayonnaise for a little bit and then back in the bathtub and then in pickles. Uh, once I got out of it, um, I, I watched the highlights later on and I was able to put the pieces together. And I didn't realize that Oral Roberts had the number one scoring um player in the nation. I didn't know that they had the the best duo in the nation. And then once I looked at those numbers and how they were shooting that game, they actually should have blown Ohio State out. So therefore, I put all of my money, money line, no spread, no points, no nothing on Oral Roberts to beat Florida. And that is exactly what happens. Why did those guys get no love during the regular season? Well, you know, no one heard of those guys. I mean, you heard about the young man, Abram, being the leading scorer. But, you know, he wasn't playing against the competition on a nightly basis that he faced in the March Madness. So that's probably one of the reasons why you didn't hear much about him. But you better be known you, for sure now. You hear, you know about his name now because of his, his, his stellar play. I mean, these guys are really exciting. Man. They're fast. They're quick. They can put the ball in the basket. And if you don't have anybody can stand in front of them, they can cause a lot of havoc. Yeah, and I felt I feel like a guy like you right now during this tournament would absolutely have ripped apart all these teams because the it's the quickness that you were talking about, um, and you were an unbelievably fast guy at Wake Forest when you played. And plus, the rules are different. You know, you can't hand check and and and, and bump you as you're going down the lane as it was when I played. Um, the lane is wide open. Uh, you got a lot more guys that skill set says really involved. You I mean you big guys, seven foot of hell in the basketball, shooting threes where. They was playing with their back towards the basket when we was playing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's, we, we take that for granted a lot. It's, it seems like an offensive move that the, uh, that the five and even the four are playing out at the perimeter more, but there's a defensive component to that as well because the person they're defending is now out you know, on the perimeter, so those rim protectors just don't exist anymore. I mean, there's a couple of the league, but for the most part, you don't see, you don't see those seven-footers just hanging out down in the low block anymore waiting to, to you know, uh, do some help defense or whatever whatever's going on. Yeah, and that's the, that's the new rules, and that's the way the game has gone. Um, you only have a handful of those guys that still, you know, they're still here, you know, the Joel Obed and mm-hmm. guys like that. But mostly, you know, and even he liked to shoot the three ball. Um, and it's just the way the game is. It's a trend. I think when those big dominant centers come back around, the Shaquille O'Neal, the Patrick Young, those type of players, you know, of course, you're going to have to adjust to their skill set. So, we're, you know, it would be interesting to see how it, if it ever go back to that. But, you know, the guys are so talented now. Like you said, I mean, you're 7-2, driven the ball, poor Zingas, shooting perimeters, handling the basketball. So, I mean, it's now the way the guys are being trained and how they can kind of, you know, add to their skill set, putting you know, among this craft that they are taking a part of. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up of, of if the game goes back, um, because I think that's been our biggest question on this show for the last three years with the the, the prevalence of three-pointers um, and how many people are firing up game after game after game. Yeah. I don't know that it ever goes back to a dominant center anymore like it used to throughout the 60s through, you know, to, to when Shaquille O'Neal was playing, um, because you, you see a guy like uh, um, uh, the guy from uh, Illinois, uh, Kofi Coburn is his name. I don't want to mispronounce that. I usually call him Cockburn. Want to get that right today because that means something totally different that you can get on spring break. Yeah. Um, yep. But uh, but you you look at guys like that. You look at guys like uh, who was the kid that came out of uh, Arizona last year? Now he's playing for Phoenix. Uh, DeAndre. Um, center. Yeah. DeAndre. Yeah. He's behind him. Yeah. He's yep. he's yeah. He's he's a legit center. Uh, this Wiseman kid for uh, Golden State is a legit center. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a couple of other ones. But even some of the quote unquote, the, some of the guys that have the body of a legit center, like uh, Joel Embiid, Carl uh, 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 Anthony Towns, people like that, they're still out on the perimeter, man. I mean, it's 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 weird. I don't know if you like if you're how marketable are you if you're DeAndre Ayton versus versus Joel Embiid, right? Because Joel Embiid is going to be a perennial MVP candidate. Can can a guy who just plays the five the old school way be in that conversation anymore? Is the best center in the league? You got you got Jokic. You know, you got the Joker, you got Embiid, you got Anthony Towns, you got all these guys that are legit seven-footers that are shooting threes now. So I don't know. I mean, it, it comes down to to uh, uh, effective field goal percentage and things like that, right? Three is more than two. and stuff. But they all have different and, – and they all possess different skill set. You mentioned the, uh, uh, Rudy Gobert. He's more of a shot blocker, right. run the floor type of player. You know, Joel, he's, he has the total package, yeah. you know, inside, out. 
back to the basket. He's, he's also the really only passer. one. He's the only center that today that kind of molds that old type of uh, center we had back in the day, and as well adjust to the new game where shooting the perimeter jump shot, the three ball. Um, so he's really mixed it up. So it's going to take a player like that. But it's it's the it's the game within itself, you know. Uh, I don't think it ever would go back to a stationary, just throwing in, dumping in to see a one big man operate in that regard, uh, because that three point line is so been emphasized mm. in everybody's game plan, and the guys are shooting the ball lights out. I mean, now you got guys shooting beyond the three yeah. out half court. So, I mean, that's how that's how the game has gone. Uh, so I, I don't think it ever will see a game where we play back. In our day, in that regards, because the game has spread up, the game is fast now. You know they don't, they want more scoring. So I think that 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 center, he's going to have to have all those skill sets that we just talked about. You know, with a Joel B, you know, possessed, or he can be, you know, a one a, a, a specific type of center like a, a Rudy Gobert. You know, a shot blocker. You know, protect the rim type of guy. Right. And there's some other yeah. guys that are playing uh, that are, you know, in that same category, but they're not even playing the five anymore. I, I think of uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's he's 6'11", legit. And this dude, I mean, he, he's he's still shooting. He's having a little bit of a down year shooting-wise, but he's sh- still shooting 30% from three. A 6'11 guy shooting 30% from three 25 years ago would have been out of the question. Now it's like, oh, now it's like, oh he's, he's doing all right this year. Like, come on, man, what, where are we setting the bar here? I know, and that's where guys are starting to take their game, and, and that's where they kind of become these wannabe superstars, mm-hmm. you know, because you got to have all those arsenals in your, you know, and, and you, all, all those type of skill sets in your arsenal because playoff time come, as you just mentioned, Giannis, you know, they sit back and they make him shoot. They block a wall, and, you know, that's been affecting him. So, But you notice this year he's been emphasized a little more with his three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. And feel comfortable doing that, so he can open up that lane a lot more. And uh, but that's how scary the game has gotten. I mean, here we talking about a seven footer guy's point forward, point center that's handling the basketball and just really dictating where the ball goes. I mean, here we ain't even mentioned LeBron James. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. I, f- I feel like LeBron, you know, is his own category at this point. But as a as a point of reference, Muggsy, when you were coming up and getting ready for the NBA and all that stuff, was the three pointer? that important that you were working out on it every single day knowing hey man if, if i can develop a, a deep three ball um that it could maybe lengthen my career it definitely wasn't emphasized more it is today even though the three ball was in the game plan um, we had guys shoot the three ball dale always shot it reggie miller greg hodges those guys even mark price you know isaiah guys who was able capable of shooting it but it wasn't emphasized as much as it is today, you know, because it's the way the rules of the game and uh, and how guys, are, how the coaches are coaching the game. And we're, and, it, and I guess it more so goes to the skill set, as we talked about earlier, of these players. So I guess they're adjusting to all of that and they're allowing these guys to take advantage of, of their skill set. I mean, here it is, a Kevin Durant, 6'11". You know, one of the best prolific scores that we ever had in our game. You know, standing out behind the three-point, just shooting the ball on that at, at an accurate clip. Yeah, I don't uh, know. That's unheard of. You know, so that's unheard of in today's. I, I mean, back in our day, but today's game, that's pretty normal. I've got a question for you. You've been playing and watching basketball for a very long time. Have you ever seen anybody be able to shoot with a hand in his face like Kevin Durant? I mean, I've never seen anything like it before in my life. It's like he's not even seeing the basket, and he's still. I mean. Especially on the fast break, he'll he'll pull up on the fast break from about 24, 25 feet sometimes, and a guy will come off from his side and just throw a hand in his face, right in front of his face, and he drains it like it's not even there, like it's like he's in warm-ups. I've never seen anything like this guy. Well, the, 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 that's for shooters. Those are shooters. I mean, that's Stephen Curry, yeah. Damian Lillard. You know, these guys. You know, they have this. You know, this vision where that's all they see is the ocean of the basket. And it's become an ocean as opposed to of a basket. You know, and they have the, you know, that natural instinct of how to put it in there effortlessly. Right. And then that's the thing of watching those guys shoot the ball. Yeah, it's interesting you say that about Steph Curry because in his second MVP season, his effective field goal percentage, uh, I just remember this random stat, his effective field goal percentage on shots from 28 to 30 feet from the basket 
was higher. Yeah. It was higher than than uh, the league average inside the paint. Like what the fuck, man? That's uh, that should not be that should not be legal. What the hell's going on with this guy? Yeah, that's abnormal. There, I tell you, and that's the that's just a testament, of course, him and uh, the parents that raised them. But yeah. you know, for him to have that ability, you know, on a day nightly basis to have the ability the ball in the basket, it's, it's a truly, you know truly a, a blessing to watch yeah for sure well, no, well nobody nobody knows him better than you uh you 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 grew up i mean your best friend was del curry on the charlotte all those years you had to have seen steph as a kid shooting lights out <laughs> next to you probably every practice i would imagine well yeah i mean steph he, he was a gym rat you know he was in him and my son and, and you know they stayed around us all the time and it was in the gym all the time but we had no idea that he was going to turn out to be this type of player. I mean, he so he was so skinny, so you know, so he was small and frail. But he had a heart uh, just as enormous as mine was, and you know, he just wanted and enjoyed the game. And watching him on this run, I mean, it's just such a treat, such a blessing. I mean, not even knowing that I had the best shooter in the world flying around in the locker room in my arms. You know, it, it, yeah. It's you re- yeah. So you, you really had no idea. Like, was he, you know, as a kid, something special where, you know, I, I look back to Ken Griffey Jr. and his son, right? Uh, and, and his father playing. And it felt like everybody knew around the organization. Same with Prince Fielder and his kid. You guys didn't have that same feeling when, when he was shooting the ball. No, I mean, because Steph was so small. He was skinny small, you know, and he just loved just playing the game and, uh, and just going around messing around. Even in high school, you know, he was just small, but had always had that skill set to put the ball in the basket. And uh, he used to have this push shot until Dell took him into the gym to kind of move it up some yeah, yeah. to allow him to be able to start shooting the ball from his shoulders. And then that's when it started to take off. I mean, he really became such a player in, in, in college that no one thought that he was no, for sure. I mean, that frailty followed him into the NBA, too. If you remember his first couple of years, he had a lot of ankle injuries. And I guess that uh, that gym rat attitude uh, clicked in pretty good for him. It's just his work ethic has really worked out for him because what he did was figured out how to make his ankle stronger. And now and then he went on to win and win and win and win. And now he's again uh, in the conversation for MVP again. So, you know, it's I guess it's a benefit to be able to to be able to shoot thousands of shots a day if you want in an nba gym growing up that seems like a pretty good like that's just (laughs) we should just let everybody do that we can get a bunch of steph curry's right sort of i mean look i can't name very many nba players who have had great children um you know i I guess kobe bryant yeah we talked about that one time el curry yeah like who are the who are the second generation nba players that are really great even horace grant's kid didn't make it his two nephews did but he wasn't or his his kid wasn't i mean What's his name? Jeremiah or some shit. I don't remember his name. And then um, Jordan's kids played college ball, but they never made it. I mean, I can't. Harding. I think Harding Jr. Um, mm. You know, he went to Michigan. Like and, he was. Hardaway Jr. too. I mean, I'm sorry. Hardaway, Hardaway Jr. That's yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he's good. And yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you got, you got the sons. You got the sons that's, you know, still, you know, following the, the daddy's footsteps. Mm. And you got a lot of those duos to where, you know, the sons and the followers had the opportunity to, to play in the lead. And you had, you know, everybody try to see who was the best of them. But, I mean, it's good to see that, though. You know, just good to see, you know, uh, as you, you guys, you mentioned all the names, the Hardaways, the Dells, and, uh, of course, Jordan, them Sunday, and they weren't able to make it. But, you know, teams that, I mean, it, any kid that have an opportunity, I mean, any player have an have opportunity to have their kid that follow their footsteps, I mean, it's it's such a blessing. I mean, here it is. Who knows what can happen? you got Harper Jr. right now who could possibly mm-hmm. going to that next step, you know, yep. so being able to experience that. But it's good to see, you know, the teammates, um, the guys that I know have sons in the league. Horace Grant, I yep. mean, Harvey Grant, as your guys mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, he's the uncle. So, yeah, yeah. I, look, we'll see what happens with uh, with Bronny. You know, he's the yeah. he's the next hype machine he's coming up. He's looking pretty good. I mean, look, if his body grows late like uh, like LeBron's did, I think he's probably going to be an NBA guy. And look, you can talk, I guess you could talk about uh, um, all of sports. It's very rare to have a father that was really, really good or great and then have a child that even plays in the league, right? I mean, the only one I can really think of 
uh, uh, Ken Griffey Sr. was pretty good, but he wasn't like a perennial all-star or anything. The only one I can really think of is Bobby Bonds and Barry Bonds, where the, the – mm. I mean, they, they were both uh, not Hall of Famers, but, you know, um, uh, Bobby finished in the top five in the MVP voting a couple times. He's, he's won multiple Golden Gloves. He's hit 30 home runs, had a 30-30, had two 30-30 this season, if I'm not mistaken. That's uh, – that, those are two guys. I can't think of any other father-son duo that had both had that kind of success in all of professional sports, not just basketball or any of these other ones. So, you know, good. I, I feel like Dell had a really good shot. But back then, guys who were primary three-point shooters typically weren't uh, big uh, uh, usage percentage guys. They were more, uh, you know, in the tool belt, so to speak. Yeah, like Paxson and all those other guys. Steve um, Kerr, yeah, Mark Price, all those guys, yeah. Yeah, what did your dad do, Muggsy, growing up? Like, how did you learn the game? No, unfortunately, my dad was, you know, he, he spent a lot of time in prison when I was 12. Um, I grew up in the inner city of Baltimore, uh, you know, following my sister. You know, she played the game. My brother played a little bit. and But I saw her play it, and it just gave me, you know, she was small. So it kind of gave me a little inspiration to go out there and try the game. But then once I really got into it, it was a young man in my neighborhood. His name was Dwayne Wood. He would have been the first uh, small guy that made it if he would have decided to go to Georgia with Dominique Wilkins as opposed to going to Virginia State to another sort of smaller university. Uh, so he kind of gave me a little sample of what, I could, what I'm capable of doing because he was really good. So that's, that's who it really came for me. Looking at guys in the NBA at the time, you know, Tiny Archibald, he was 6'1", so he wasn't too tiny to me, <laughs> you, know, you know. But then I had he had Calvin Murphy out there. Calvin was, you know, in that five ten six range. So that's that's your sense, but yeah. that, that's your Jordan. I took that personally moment when you find out Tiny Archibald is fucking six one. You're fucking yeah. You're like, come on, man, come on. Yeah, and I took yeah. that personally. And I took that personally. <laughs> um, you were talking about your sister. Um, watching her play and everything. Um, was that some of your motivation for for coaching a WNBA team? Well, that, that, yeah, I mean, knowing that she played the game and how much she loved the game and enjoyed it. But just being around the game of basketball and, and the young ladies that you came in contact with know how passionate they were with the game. And, you know, when the opportunity presented itself, I wasn't searching to become a women's basketball coach. But when the thing reached out and uh, because of the situation, I decided to take over, even though I know they was going to get rid of the team. But I decided to take over and just give them an opportunity just to have fun and enjoy the, their craft. You know, I learned much about it as well, you know, while doing so. And I learned a lot by being over there with the ladies because they're so professional. And they more or less focus on the fundamentals aspects of the game as opposed to athleticism of it. I'm glad you brought that up because there, there's been some controversy in the last week with what Shaq said to Candace Parker. Now, Shaq's suggestion was lower the rim to nine feet and have dunking. Um, because women aren't at, as athletic, and he thought that that would help ratings, mm. therefore generate more money to WNBA players. You were an actual WNBA coach. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you, then you discredit the game. You discredit all the young ladies that learned the game as a young kid on a 10-foot goal. So now they're going to have to readjust their game to try to play on a 9-foot goal. But, I mean, we got enough women excitement women that's in the game it just need to be marketed the right way i believe um we got women that can dunk are capable of dunking um it just again um i think it's more or less how they market the game and present the game and get the game out there because the women you, you just imagine your mama what they go through you know how this balance as in your craft as well as you know off the court and what they mean so much I think they don't do enough pushing that narrative out there as opposed to just pushing, you know, because a lot of women are married. You know, some women that have different other, you know, agendas, uh, but I think they just push the other side. I think they need to focus more so on the totality of a woman, what they represent and what they bring to the table. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how you market that better, right? Because like you were saying, great fundamentals. However, not a lot of people want to see fundamentals when they show up uh, to a game. Same way with with me. I'm a big, you know, um, like NFL guy, college guy. I don't want to see a lot of defense. I want to see a lot of scoring. Well, you can see it in UFC, too, right? I mean, uh, think about the Khabib yeah. versus McGregor fight. Uh, Khabib, clearly the better fighter. Way better. 
than mm-hmm. better technically better at winning actual fights. Like not not just is he better technically and fundamentally, he's actually better at winning fights than Conor McGregor was. And Conor got three million for that fight, just uh-huh. his base salary, and and Khabib got two million, even yeah. though Khabib was the was the belt holder at the time. You know what I mean? So I, there is something about that marketability. I wonder. Um, I wonder what it is they can do to make that better because, look, I mean, it's still the fact that the WNBA is subsidized by the NBA. It's just not making money. And uh, there's got to be something, though, because I know a lot of young women like uh, to play sports. Shit, my grandmother back in the 1940s played in a textile mill basketball league semi-professionally. You know what I mean? It's, this is not new. Uh-huh. This stuff's been going on for a very long time. So I just wonder. She dunked on a peach crate. I remember that, Dan. Yeah. I remember seeing footage of your grandmother dunking on peach crates. Yeah, and then she punched uh, James Naismith right in the face, too, right after that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, but in all sincerity, like Dan was saying, like, what, what, what do we do to get people to watch it? But, I mean, Europe, it seemed like Europe found a way. You know, Europe had found a way that, that that's where – they take care of their, their, their women. I mean, that's where the WNBA women goes to really make their money. Mm. And uh, because it's uh, it's well um, thoughtful, and I'm quite sure they do a great job of, uh, of paying their players, even though the WNBA is a three-month, even though it's only three months of play, uh, but they still need to find a better way of how to create marketability, make the game a lot more exciting, and you know, again, people think the dunking was going to be is going to do that. I mean, maybe so, but mm. a lot of outside shooting. You know, people loving the three ball, people loving people shooting from half court and uh, certain parts of the court these days. You know, maybe that could be some excitement as well. Yeah, yeah. But sure. hopefully they can get to a hopefully they could get a better TV deal, which that's the beginning right. of. The yeah, that's yeah. That's really like the money. It, I, I don't think Shaq was. I don't think Shaq was trying to be malicious. He's generally trying to help. No. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, like I look at uh, you. You had a pretty exciting career by any reasonable measure. So the average NBA career is about four, four and a half years. You had seven years where your average nine points, nine assists a game. That's that's a and you're you're not exactly the tallest guy in the world. I don't want to keep harping on it, but that that you're if you go look at Muggsy Bogues highlight reels on on YouTube. It's not it's not fundamentals and back cuts. It's these crazy turnarounds, these thread the needle passes. I mean, that is exciting it, to me as dunking. A great pass is exciting as dunking, but even then, I think I think uh, there just needs to be a little bit more risk in the game on the female side. That's probably what it is. It's not about the highlight reel dunk. It's more about the highlight reel itself. And the long three for sure is one of them. Uh, the the movement on offense, the back cuts, and all that stuff the big rejections on defense, things like that is what really brings people out of the seats. I mean, look, people go watch Rudy Gobert, not for his dunks, because they want to see a ball go f- uh, 14 feet deep in the in the stands uh, after he swats it out of the fucking air, right? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. And then again, you know, the dunk is two points. It's an exciting, a lot of folks, you know, do get riled up when that happened. But again, you know, the game within itself, and I know a lot of women, they just feel so disrespected when you tell them they got to lower the rim in order to make that game exciting. Um, you know, it's, I mean, a lot of these women are really skillful. I mean, you got some athletic women that's out there. I mean, Brittany Griner, she, uh, Brittany Griner, uh, Griner well, I want to make sure. Griner, yeah. Griner, yeah. Griner, yeah. yeah. you know, she's a dunk, is among some other players that's in there too. But again, you know, it's, it's just the narrative that they continue to put out there about the, this game. I mean, you got so many great, talented basketball women players that's out there, and uh, it just needs to be expressed and exposed and, again, talked about more or less what the women bring to the table and bringing other folks to the game to the game to watch the viewership, I should say, as opposed to just regular sports fans. Yeah, so we're talking yeah. about the long three a little bit. Do you remember before Steph Curry, the only guy I can ever remember consistently jacking up threes from out there was Mahmoud Adorouf, right? He was the only guy that ever shot from out there. Now you're seeing more and more. Dame Lillard, fucking, uh, 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 what's his name from Atlanta, Ross, your guy? Oh, Trey Young. Yeah, Trey Young. Uh, Ice Trey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Steph, Trey. now that's just a regular thing to pull up from 28 feet and just launch it, or even farther, 30, 32 feet sometimes. That's a regular thing now. I don't remember uh, if anybody back in the 90s was doing that, uh, except you know for what? Rauf. 
Yeah, they, they weren't. But you know what's weird, Dan, is I've seen it a lot during this tournament um, with uh, uh, Buddy Buckets, yeah. Bayheim's kid. Yeah. He has been shooting from the logo. Some of these LSU kids shooting from the logo. Um, I mean, with ease. Yeah. I, I don't remember anybody. Loyola. Yeah, the, the kid, kid from Loyola. Loyola. So he shot it as well. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. Oral Roberts. Yeah. But that's how it yeah. is, right? But I mean, you, you grow up wanting to be the guy you're watching on TV. Everybody's been watching Steph Curry shoot from out there for the last 10 years or so. And they're like, you know what? I can do that. He, this guy's six one. I can do that. Why not? And they're doing it too. Yeah. Back then, you know, we didn't work. Guys didn't work on those type of shots. Back then, it was considered a bad shot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people didn't work on them. And, you know, you had guys maybe were capable of hitting a shot. Yeah but not on a consistent basis right, because right. that wasn't something that they worked on. Yeah. You know, these guys, these kids, you know, that's what they do. They work on these shots, you know, the legs and the, the wrist and the strength mm -hmm. of the shot. You know, they work on that on a consistent basis. They're shooting a thousand, a thousand of these type of shots. You know, right. it, it become a natural shot for yeah. you. But it's not for everybody. No, for sure. It's, it's not. not for everybody. Not, but, you know, it's funny you say that it used to be considered a bad shot because now pretty much every shot Carl Malone took in his career would be considered a bad shot now. <laughs> you know what I mean? That mid-range 18-foot <laughs> jump shot. Everybody would be like, no, no, don't do that. Just step back a couple of feet. The mailman did it every yeah. single day. He, I mean, shit. I would say probably 60 70% of his shots were from that 15-to-8-foot range, 18-foot range. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he wasn't going this outside of that. Hmm. Three ball wasn't, you know, wasn't something that they was going to experiment with. Although he was clearly and, uh, a good shooter, right? I mean, he could have, he easily could have done that. That's an easy for a guy that size. That would have been an easy transition for him because he had that touch. I think he shot like what eighty-two or eighty-four percent from the free throw line for his career or something like that. So he he definitely could have done that. It just wasn't part of the well, game. Call, call, call Malone. Yeah. A free throw line. I don't know about that. I mean, we need to. Research I'll that check it. Oh, it's seventy. Yeah. There, there's seventy five percent. Yeah, there's a lot of things that uh, people yeah, need to research on Carmelo. Shaking on that, feet shaking on that free throw line for a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to yeah, pivot. I wanna, I'll, uh, yeah. I'm, go just go, I'm just gonna say, but the mailman. I mean, that was. I mean, players like him, man. It, it was. It, it was very rare to see. Um, and it just. And you know, like I said, you you look at him and the body structure. That's LeBron James now. So that's that's so crazy. That's so crazy to be seeing, you know, the game to, in a, to where it is today. Muggsy, we got some sponsors that pay for this shit wagon to be on the air. Let me get to those real quick, and then we'll hop back in. Speaking of March, March Madness, oof. is here. It's oof. mad this year. Jesus Christ, I've never seen it March like this. I think you said earlier. Here. I think you said earlier that this is the most upsets we ever saw in the round of 64. It is. It is. Uh, a lot of people are winning games. I switched all my bets, actually, mm. after that opening day games. I know everybody's going to get on me for the Ohio State thing, which is fine, but then I ended up taking Oral Roberts' money line mm. right after that against Florida, and I, I won 3-1 to one odds and absolutely destroyed. Dude, that last game, that last those last two games, I won $4,500. Yeah, I saw it. Was like, oh, yeah, it was $4,500. Yeah, it's ridiculous, man. I mean... I've never seen anything like this before. I can't tell if Oral Roberts is good or if the the field is weak or what. I mean, the Big Ten has been getting – didn't Iowa lose as well? Yes, they like got the one Big team Ten left. Has been, has been getting rocked this year. So Michigan was the only team out of the nine to make it. Well, they're probably going to make it to the Final Four, to be honest. Let's be real well, about that. I had Illinois winning it all. My bracket yeah. is up in flames. So is everybody else. I think uh, ESPN started with $14 million and now they're down to 100 uh, less than that. Less They're than down that now, yeah. to, I think, two. Two people are left. <laughs> yeah. Dead serious. Well, two March people are Madness left. This is here. It's time to shoot your shot, guy. It is. Shoot your shot. Score big on the nonstop action with my bookie. Select the winners from the 63 tournament games in the my bookie bracket contest for a chance to win 10,000 in prizes. And it's only a dollar to enter. I know what you're saying. Hey, man, I already lost that shit. What do I do now? Boom. You can pick right back up. They got a new bracket up there. Doesn't matter whether you're filling out multiple brackets, better than the national championship winner, or simply looking for player and game props. My bookie has you covered. Sign up today at mybookie.ag and use the promo code Drinking Bros to secure a deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's promo code Drinking Bros to claim your first deposit bonus. College ball, NBA, NHL, no matter the sport, no matter the minute, my bookie puts the action in your hands with in-game live betting and with the choice of thousands of lines and odds you can turn any day into game day and into a payday bet anything 
anytime, anywhere with my bookie. These aren't like the other companies mm. where you've got to wait or it's like, oh my God, it's not available in my state. No, you can book, you can, all 50 states you can bet on it. MyBookie.com. Yep. Yeah, .ag. They got a ton of, of, uh, of prop bets. I can tell you from, uh, I've been watching our buddy Alex Monaco over there. He's been he's been getting uh, he's gonna get his pants pulled down on the unders. Usually college basketball is, is is under porn, right? The guys do it on the the college basketball show every week. It doesn't seem to be like that so far in the tournament. I'm not saying play the trend. Usually playing the trend results in big losses downstream. So probably just keep an eye on it and take a look. But hey, it's a it's been an exciting time so far. Dude, I played the trend with Oral Roberts that one, and then I played the, the trend with Syracuse. Mm. Same thing, man. Buddy buckets, dude. Um, so I don't feel bad about Ohio State losing anymore because shit, everybody else is getting housed as well. Gonzaga looks unstoppable. That's yeah. the only team. You should feel That's the only bad team. first. Yeah. Uh, ah, that Gonzaga team might finish perfect. It seems real. like it. Was, yeah, it does seem like it's not going to matter. The only, I, I mean, I still like Baylor, but I don't know if they. I, I like Baylor and their defense, but they haven't really played anybody yet, so it's hard to say if if they're legit. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. It'd be uh, a great championship. Yeah, and then next up we got Killcliff, obviously. KillcliffCBD.com. You saw it. You're, you're going to see it uh, later tonight, actually. Yeah, uh, KillcliffCBD.com, dude. Um, they're in it. Uh, they're in the business of making you feel good. 25 milligrams of CBD in every single can. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how you can beat it, to be honest with you, man. I had two companies hit us up, you know, because we're doing the seltzer. Uh, we're, we're, we're developing our own seltzer right now. Um, that is getting closer and closer by the day, by the way. Uh, and their one question, they were like, Hey man, that Killcliffe company with the CBD, where are they getting that CBD from? And I was like, dude, I don't know. Everybody's trying to do it. They're the only ones that have mastered it. And they're only ones that you can trust as far as a drinkable product. Go to KillcliffCBD.com today. Enter the promo code drinking bros for 30% off and free shipping. That's KillcliffCBD.com, promo code Drinking Bros for 30% off and free shipping, oh, yeah. which is a big, big deal. Big deal uh, the Flaming Joe flavor, dude. It's delicious. That's, uh, it's, everybody's drinking that shit, dude. It's really I'm good seeing with, it everywhere. Uh, really good with tequila, by the way, if you're into that sort of thing. I am. Yeah. So yeah. do that. And, you know, it's, it's uh, man, they, they are really killing it right now. They've also got, if you're a Texas resident, they just got into a bunch of new stores, a new uh, grocery stores and gas stations here in Texas. Yep. Uh, the, the, the process is ongoing. They're, they're filling in their product now, and then we're going to do some launches with them over the summer. It's going to be super exciting. If you're in the Texas area, we're probably going to be coming to a theater near you to do a little event. So keep yeah. your eyes open for that shit. Come and check us out and go to KillCliffCBD.com today. Promo code Drinking Bros, 30% off. And free shipping. Sorry, Muggsy. We had to we had to pay. We had to pay the employees today. Yeah, speaking of LeBron James, I gotta ask you about Space Jam 2. You were in the original. Did they ask you to be in the sequel with LeBron James? No, they didn't ask me to be in the sequel. I have no clue what the uh what the theme gonna be. I and mean, then we saved the planet, maybe they saved the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Do people still bring it up, Space Jam? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, kids, yeah. I mean, some of them still ask me, do I have my powers? Yeah. Yeah. That'll never go away. That's funny. We're, we're, we were watching the uh, the Last Dance doc, as I'm sure everybody was uh, last year, because we were all locked in the house from COVID. Did you get to play in any of those legendary games on that court that was built for the movie production for Jordan to train on? Well, I, unfortunately, I didn't because I had surgery, but I was there mm. watching. You know, I had surgery on my knee. I wasn't even supposed to do the movie, but they had me fly out there anyway to do my lines, and, of course, they must have liked what I've done. Uh, but I went over to watch the guys play. I couldn't play because I had knee surgery. It was some great games, great pickup games, some of the best you can ever see. Yeah, Jordan played – he seems to play the same if it's a pickup game with no fans, if it was like the game seven of the NBA Finals. That dude doesn't give a shit, right? He's just crazy all the time. Oh, he's a competitor. I mean, we all are. I mean, everybody competes. I mean, everybody wants to win. I mean, you know, and they fortunate enough for them, he created, they created a, a, a big tent to where he can not only play basketball, work on his golf game and all that, because he was making his comeback. And I guess that was, uh, that was the deal they made so he can feel comfortable doing it. Did, was it as crazy as, as they made it out in the documentary, like people were just killing each other in those pickup games? No, it was that. It, it was. It was. That. It was, I mean, it was intense. You know, nobody like to lose. 
you know, nobody likes to lose. And it's all about, you know, bragging rights as well. A lot of trash talking, a lot of folks, because, you know, this is during the summertime, and this is when MJ trying to, you know, make a comeback of being, you know, disappointed from what happened to him to Orlando. So that was, uh, it, it was great, fun basketball to be what to be watching. I wish I could have been playing, but it was good to be watching. It was awesome. Look, you were also in another one um, that uh, could change the WNBA and might become it someday with the way our, he- our country's headed. Juana Man, how was that for you? <laughs> I love that movie. Oh, that was so much fun. Oh, it was so much fun. I mean, they created, you know, that uh, that type of uh, movie, you know, with a, a male player, a female to go out there and try to pursue his career still. Yep. It was great, man. I mean, it was great laughters, and I'm, you know, great. I was proud of it. Yeah, we know Orlando Jones. He he lives down in Wilmington, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, good dude, Super very funny very guy. funny guy. Yeah, and, tell uh, Orlando he better pay up. He lost his horse game to me. He ain't paid me yet. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how many people have hit me up saying, "Hey man, tell Orlando to pay me." Um, there's a lot. He's made a lot of bets that he's lost. Apparently, <laughs> that's all I'll say on that one. Uh, how was it in Curb Your Enthusiasm? Because that that's one of Dan and I's favorite oh, shows. Yeah, you were yeah. also in that as well. Oh, uh, it was such a blast. I mean, Richard Lawson and David. Mm. I mean, Rich, uh, Larry David had me just crying the entire time <laughs> on the set. I mean, of course, you know, it was just a storyline, and I would go for it. And uh, I just really had a good time on the set. Really had me fun. Yeah, because people don't realize when you get that script, it's about six pages of of kind of a loose story of what's going to happen, but there's no dialogue, and it's all improv. For a guy mm-hmm. like you, was that fun or scary? Oh, it was fun, you know, especially when they told me what the what the scene was going to be. I said, I was the perfect guy for that. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was, I had a good time with it, man, and it was really enjoyable. And, uh, again, I tell you, they have fun on the set. They tell jokes the entire time, and I was just in stitches my entire time on the set. Yeah, I bet, man. Because it, the weird thing is, is, like, acting-wise – You've worked with some of the greats. I'm going through this here. Um, you had a cameo at the end of Eddie with Whoopi Goldberg. What was Whoopi Goldberg like back in the day? Oh, she told me she was going to put me on a plate and sop me up like a biscuit. So I felt great. <laughs> I mean, it was fun. You know, watching Whip, uh, watching uh, Miss Gold, watching Whoopi do her thing on the set. I mean, she was so demanding. And uh, everybody, you know, was in the right place at the right time. Nothing, nobody being late. I mean, she really was prompt. And, Seeing her work behind the scenes was, was was a treat. That's awesome. And then, obviously, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, your Saturday Night Live appearance with Charles Barkley. The big and tall black man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was fun, I'll tell you. Charles did a great job. He did a great job on seeing us. Uh, seeing out. I mean, it was creative. Uh, Store uh, Smiley. Mm. Um, yeah, oh, the, the, the uh, senator from... Yeah from Minnesota played it. So it, it was great, man. I really had a great time on that show. It was awesome. Did you actually go and were you live as, as a part of it as it was live or did you just tape that segment? No, we was live. We was actually there. Oh, that's great. Um, actually, yeah. yeah, we were actually there and um, on the set, um, you know, I had to, they created the big tall man clothes for me. So I got a chance to put them on and uh, <laughs> I met first time meeting Ru- RuPaul. It, it, it was great, man. I had a good time. RuPaul's I, I like how you, tall, right? Yeah, Ru, RuPaul's a big dude. Um, yeah. Or uh, the the hilarious part, though, I like how you bring up RuPaul over the musical guest that night, who was Nirvana. It was Nirvana, and I was going to say that too as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was going to. I was going to mention that. Yeah. I, I know. I know what your level of importance is. RuPaul here, Nirvana <laughs> here, which is crazy no. to me. Well, RuPaul's no, still around. No. <laughs> <Just saying. laughs> something to be said for that i guess yeah did you get to meet kurt cobain when you were there i did i did got to meet those guys and it was uh again because they had a uh a after party afterwards and uh and it was kind of unique because i got to see again i hate to keep saying that's all repaul all of his costume so and i didn't know who it was and uh so it was it was it was a good yeah, the one I've met, I've met him one time as well, and it was out of costume, and I, I didn't recognize him at all. He's actually a good-looking person. Like I was just like, oh shit, all right. Yeah. Yeah, I was there just shooting the breeze with him, and didn't realize that was him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised how, you haven't done more uh, film and television, to be honest, because you're super 
uh, you're, well, you're, obviously you're a smart guy. If you're if you're able to hang on curve your enthusiasm, you got to be a smart guy. You got to be quick witted. Otherwise, you get you'll get dragged dragged by these guys. They're so fast. Uh, I'm surprised you haven't done more. Is that something you're looking forward to doing in your future? Uh, you know, I, I don't chase it. You know, if opportunity presents itself, you know that that's fine with it. Mm. You know, I, I, that's not my lane that I kind of travel down. Um, and it, like I said, anytime opportunity come, I'm, I'm thankful for it. Yeah, because I, I I enjoyed your thirty for thirty. Um, the the Baltimore boys. Um, explain that and how you got involved. I mean, obviously you're from there, uh, but tell everybody what the thirty for thirty process is like. Because I think it's one of those things where secretly we all have our own special thirty for thirty that we would like to have shots or you know involve us in some way. Why this story and and how did that come about? Well, it was the makeup of a uh, high school team, um, the legendary uh, team that was put together. Uh, myself, the late Reggie Laws, uh, may he rest in peace, David Wingate, mm-hmm. um, who went on to play with the Philadelphia 76ers, Reggie Williams, who went on to play with the Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, the four of us was on the same high school team together, along with other talented players who got Division One scholarships. Uh, we was 59 and 0 my two years there. Uh, we were the number one team in the nation, um, and that was a story that uh, a lot of folks wanted to hear. And plus, there was a lot of history in it. Uh, three of us, uh, myself, the late Reggie Laws, and Reggie Williams, we got drafted in the first round in 1987, and that was you know unheard of that three high school players on the same team mm-hmm. that was drafted in the same round. Um, in the first round that year. So that was a lot of historic moments that took Yeah, place. it wasn't like that back then. Or it wasn't like it is now where uh, kids sometime around freshman, sophomore year will go to a, a finishing school or whatever like that and play. You know, instead of – I mean, I guess it used to be probably towards the tail end of your high school career, maybe when you were in college where the, the uh, uh, you know, the summer league ball and all the travel teams start to kind of get together and getting more popular. But now, you know, even, even with LeBron, what was it – almost almost 20 years ago now he uh mm-hmm. transferred to was it saint vincent saint mary i think was the name of the school mm-hmm. yeah 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 and now yeah. i mean it's that's pretty much the norm if you're a, but it makes sense if you're an elite talent you got to go play other elite talent because you're never going to hone your skills like that and that's something that you did from an early period even in high school then in college again and then when the uh with the fiba team in 86 that team uh nobody really thinks about that but it's you steve uh <laughs> steve kerr kenny smith the Jet, Sean Elliott, uh, Derek McKee, David Robinson, Brian Shaw. I mean, Charles, there's a bunch of dudes on that team that nobody ever thinks about. We've had, it's, it's, we take it for granted now because of how, how good the European teams have gotten, but uh, USA basketball dominated for a long, long time. They did. They did. And, uh, and that was on the collegiate level. You know, when we went over there, right. uh, before they sent the Dream Team, we were the last collegiate team to actually win that gold medal in 86. I mean, we, I mean, the names that you just ran off, and then along with the May Rest in Peace, Armin Gilliam, and mm-hmm. uh, Ronnie mm-hmm. Cycli, and those guys. I mean, we had a, a unique team that we was under Lord Duress while we was there, because during that time, it was a little terrorism going on, and uh, and it was kind of uh, scareful for us being over there. We possibly almost didn't make it, but you know, with all that being said, we was fortunate enough to win that gold medal to represent the United States uh, as a collegiate team until 88, we lost the gold medal, uh, the Olympics, and then they sent the dream team over. Um, so, I mean, but, you know, those were some fun times, and you had to play against those type of caliber players, you know, early on, as you mentioned, you know, we was fortunate enough to play against, you know, great players, travel, you know, high school team traveling, which is unheard of, uh, but it was based on you know, the type of players that we had on the team, uh, the reputation uh, that we were starting to gain around the uh, country and the nation. So that's one of the reasons why we've been fortunate enough. And, uh, and it wound up being, you know, such a great moment. And it led to, you know, me possibly, you know, winding up in the NBA. How, did, how hard did Ronnie Cycli party? He looks like a guy who wakes <laughs> up and does blow around 11, a mimosa oh. around 12, and then sells some real estate around 4. <laughs> Don't say that about my buddy Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
I say it out of jealousy, man. I He's still doing it to this day. I saw a profile on him a, a few years ago about how he owns like like a crazy amount of real estate in Miami. Um, he was selling all these houses on Star Island, and they were like, if you thought he made a lot of money during his NBA career, see how much he made in real estate. And, and they showed a shot of him, and I was like, oh, Ronnie's yeah. living his best life down there. The, the, the tallest DJ you can ever meet. <laughs> <laughs> that dude could play some yeah, ball, though, Yeah, Sykes was great, man. He was awesome, man. I'd say people don't realize how good he was, you know, mm. back in Syracuse, you know. Uh, you know, I was so blessed to play with him, you know, in that one opportunity during the Olympics and uh, with the David Robson of the world. So it was, it was good to know that he's still out there doing well. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, with all the people – you've played with which is literally everybody at this point that we all know and love and you're such a positive guy again not small big heart who is somebody you didn't like playing with or against well it's not anybody i like playing with i mean everybody i played with i mean we really got along together i mean it was just a bond that i felt like for me it lasts a lifetime you know from the 12th player all the way to to you know to the top guy so I'm just grateful for all my teammates that I play with. Who I hated playing against, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't no one particular guy out there that I hated playing against because I was I was the most different guy that any of them ever had to play against. So it was more, you know, even playing against people say, well, how about a taller player like Magic or Penny Hardwell, guys like that that had height. You know, that was, for me, you know, that was normal because mm. everybody's still taller than me. You know, and uh, but I just love playing against each and every skill player that's out there because everybody, you know, had that skill set that I was trying to make a name for myself. You know, from the Mark Price to the Kevin Johnson mm. to the Fat Lieber to the Burn Flu, all the way down to the Spud Webb, mm. you know, the Michael Adams. You know, those are the guys that, you know, Tim Hardaway, Gary Payton, I could go on, let's go on, you know. So those were the guys that I love playing against. And I got up each and every night, you know, to try to, you know, be my best. Was there guys that said they, they hated playing against you when you walked out on the floor? They were like, ah, shit. All right. All yeah. right, Muggsy. We got we to gotta go tonight. I, I hate guarding you. Who was that? I mean, a lot of guys, they always tell me they hate playing. Steve Smith and Kenny Smith. They all guys always tell me that I hate playing against me. Because, you know, a guy like me, you know, I'm pressing you 94 feet. You know, and I had to do that. That was my felt like I had to put that type of pressure that aggressiveness on you 94 feet can't give you no type of breathing room for sure because for me i felt like that you had to always knew that i was there what okay so you're not too concerned about who you're playing with because it's always you're always playing your game who's the best shit talker come on let's let's get give us give us like yeah top top three top three shit talkers i mean it's it's always of course for us it was gary payton the point guard (laughs) And then, of the course, the two guards, you got Michael and Reggie Miller, and those guys did all the talking. You Don't know, you miss that shit? Don't good. you miss Reggie Miller and Spike Lee getting into it on the sidelines and playoffs? <laughs> man, I fucking miss that shit. You don't see that anymore. Now it's Drake hugging the other team. Like, come on, man. Yell at him. Talk shit. Yeah. Uh, Why does yeah. Drake want to be an NBA wife so bad? <laughs> ah, Drake's a great guy. I mean, he's an ambassador for the Raptors. You oh, know, yeah, he's he is. Bringing that, yeah, he's bringing that type of, uh, you know, I guess, other influences involved in the game. And plus, you know, guys, rappers want to be ball players. Want to be rappers. Rappers want to be ball. Players. Oh yeah, old white actors want to be blues guitarists too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every one of them. <laughs> That's just how it is. Every uh, white, every white Hollywood actor does have a band, and they're always yeah, asking sure. you to come see their band. It's terrible. Yeah. But I miss Reggie and Spike on the sideline talking shit because now it's just like some old dude and his twenty-five-year-old uh, uh, bleach blonde wife yelling whatever the fuck they're yelling. I want to see celebrities fighting with basketball players on the sideline. That's what I want to see. It's hilarious. <laughs> and what you know, you, we used to have the hecklers in the in the audience. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You remember those yet? Now you get kicked yeah, out for that shit. Leon Love, I know the guy from Washington, uh, the lawyer. <laughs> you know, I remember it was one uh, one game we was playing, and <laughs> I shouldn't even be telling this. <laughs> uh, we was playing uh, the Washington Bullets at the time, and our coach. 
Oh boy, of course it freezes right there at the good part of the story. Coach, yeah. Oh, is he out? To call the timeout, and the gentleman um, Rex kind of uh, let the heckler know that. Hey, Mu hey, Muggsy. Muggsy, yes. I'm going to ask you to take that story back. Your phone froze. We saw a, a nice little image of you, and I don't want to miss this story. So I'm going to ask okay. you to take it back. Yeah. What happened? Well, well, what I was talking about is that, you know, one of the hecklers that's at, at the Washington uh, Arena back in uh, in the Capitol Center, mm -hmm. um, His he was a lawyer, you know, behind our bench. Uh, we was playing Gene Little and Thomas Hockey was our coach. And uh, we had a timeout. Rex Chapman kind of let the heckler know that our assistant coach had a toupee on. And and he told him, and he kind of, he said, he let him, and the heckler holler, I mean, it was so quiet in the arena. And he yelled out, oh, Tom Nosaki, that was our coach's name. Mr. Tom Nosaki, that's not a toupee you're wearing, is it? Rex Chapman told me you got a toupee on top of your head. <laughs> I mean, the entire arena heard that, and it was—he felt. I'm quite sure he felt embarrassed with it. And boy, Rex looked at him and looked at. I mean, we laughed so hard. But that's the thing that you hear when you go to these type of arenas. Well, that's, Guys that's yelling at. That's how it is in in pretty much uh, in any kind of yeah. any kind of situation like that. Like I was in the military. If you're not constantly talking shit, we don't know that we're friends. Like if you if you're not constantly insulting me and trying to attack me in some way, I'm like, do you does this guy even like me? What the hell's going on here? Yeah, I get nervous. Yeah. Let me ask you, what did he do with the toupee? Did he end up taking it off, or did he <laughs> did he live did he live that out the rest of his life? No, actually, he kept it on, and uh, he didn't take it off because he didn't want to let everybody know that it was one. So the best thing to do is just keep it keep it keep it moving and keep it going and let my man keep talking. But everybody on the bench, we knew. And then we, I mean, it was so funny. And we knew Rex was going to be in trouble once we got in the locker room. That's so funny, man. Because you don't know when to take your tube off and when to leave it. Like, how many <laughs> years do you wear a toupee in this life? Travolta rocked one for 40, 40-something 40 years and finally just took it off and shaved his head. And he looks great. I don't know why he didn't er it didn't do it earlier, but uh, some people want that rug up there. I, know, I don't understand it. You know, when it's gone, when it's time to let it go, you got to let it go. Yeah, like LeBron. I, why doesn't LeBron let it go? When I watch him, yeah. I'm like, man, you're one of the richest dudes on the planet. Go ahead and shave the rest of that. Like, it would take maybe 15 seconds. Yeah, I know. Some some folks just, you know, have this image where they got to have it there. Maybe this is a security blanket or something. Who knows? Hey, speaking of wigs, uh, have you ever seen uh... – Larry Johnson and Grandmama in the same room at the same time. <laughs> I've been, I never could figure that out. Is that some kind of costume or what's going on there? Oh, boy, you talking about my big fella, LJ. Yeah, oh, yeah. man, that was one of the great campaigns they came up with. I mean, I, I never would envision him wearing a, a dress with a go-to. <laughs> that that was know? awesome, though. That, yeah, that and, was awesome. And your guys' I team was great that. too. That uh, you, him, Alonzo, Morning—that was a great. That was—I I really enjoyed watching you guys play back then. Um, and I guess uh, the the what is it? The Uncle Drew stuff kind of tried to re envision that a little bit with as Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving doing that stuff. That was really interesting. Whatever happened with that? Why, why aren't they still doing that? What with the Uncle Drew? Yeah, that yeah. was amazing. I, I well, really they did a that. movie, so they did a full feature length movie with it, yeah. and then after that, they were like, "All right, great. Where do we go?" From I guess here? they just couldn't get away with it anymore because you can't show up to a, all the guys that, that are at those pickup games know who the fuck Kyrie Irving is and Uncle Drew is now, right? So he's got to do something. <laughs> yeah, else. but that was fun. I think that really was fun. I think they can really. I think they could have really ran with that. Mm -hmm. They could have came back with a, you know, Uncle Drew too. And, uh, I mean, because it was funny. You know, Lisa Leslie and, and, mm. and Chad, you know, Reggie couldn't be the blind. Nate was in the wheelchair. That was fun. <laughs> that, yeah. was, that was actually the wheelchair thing was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the wheelchair thing was funny. The weird thing about you, Muggsy, is if you did a movie with yourself, you, you, you still look identical. I don't know if people tell you that. You look the same age. You could actually play yourself in a biopic if somebody made it of you right now. Uh, well, you know, who knows? We got something that's in the work, but I don't know if I'm going to be part of it. But uh, really? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, I'm working on, I'm working on, I'm working on the Muggsy Bug story. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so we'll see what all what, what happened with it. But yeah. um, 
I don't think I'll be playing myself. I mean, a lot of people don't know about your life story. It's pretty wild. A lot of shit's gone down in your life, especially during childhood. And you turned that into some great success, and you also turned it into being a good man for a long time. That's that's something that's pretty rare. A lot of people go through hardship and tragedy at a young age, and they turn into pieces of shit, right? It's very. It's, that's a far too com. That's a far more common than somebody turning that into being not only a good man, but like inspiring other people to good, be good men as well. And it's inspiring from a position where not only were you the underdog in life, you were the underdog in the game and you still succeeded for all that time. I mean, it's really inspirational. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the mindset, you know, that's the one you, you want more for yourself and, and hopefully during your journey, you, you can inspire others. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so thankful that I was able to do, do both. Uh, where are they talking about doing that thing? Is it like a, a mini series or a movie of your life? Now I'm working on the the whole full Muggsy Bogues story, um, you know, trying to tell it. And you know, it's, now they had Rudy out there for so long. It's time for something else to get out there. <laughs> <laughs> we say that all the time. And here's the difference: Rudy was off sides. You actually went and played, you know, <laughs> like a professional career. Yeah, yeah, so. I know. <laughs> So you know, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of folks was really motivated by the Rudy story. So let's see if we can uh, give them another uh, another avenue to to be motivated. I think you should. Uh, we should do a rough and rowdy with Barstool where you fight Sean Astin. <laughs> what do you think? We can make that happen. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Would you ever do anything like that? Nate Robinson just did. It didn't work out so great for him. Were you watching that? I was watching. I could not believe Nate went ahead and stepped in a uh, ring to, to display, you know, that type of uh, performance. Um, you know, I, I tipped my hat off to him, but no, I, that's not something that I'm interested in doing. Mm. <laughs> Especially seeing the the end result for Nate. I, Nate is an endless meme now that I I don't even know if kids will remember that he ever played basketball. They're just going to remember that he got knocked out by Jake Paul face I, down like that. I know it, I know, but I, you know, I'm a fighter though. You know, I wouldn't been going and holding. You know, I, I, I know how to duck and move, and you know, I, I come from a street fight background. So, it'd have been, you know, if I would have went or if I'd have put myself in that situation, you know, I'd have went out with a little more, you know, aggressiveness in terms of skill uh, displaying. You know, but I ain't gonna. You will never know because I ain't gonna never put myself in that situation. Well, Nate Smart. Robinson. Nate Robinson's from Smart. Seattle, and you're from. Baltimore, right? I mean, it's not always that doesn't always tell the full story, but I feel like in this case it clearly does. <laughs> it's like the I'm wi- taking the guy like, from Baltimore, Dan. Yeah, 100 percent of the time, it's like the Wire versus whatever the fuck happens in Seattle. Okay? Nirvana, the Wire versus Nirvana is what we're we're doing there oh, yeah. with those two cities. Uh, Muggsy, now's the point in the show. We get to the drinking bro of the week, which is someone who has inspired you or helped you become. The person you are today can be a man or woman, by the way. Who would you like to give the drinking bro or broettes of the week to? You say it can't it can't be a man or a woman? No, it, I it said it can either. be. It, it can be either. So, yes. Oh, well, the person, it's, it's, you know, the gentleman that really took me under was Leon Howard. Actually, his name is Leon Howard. He was my recreation director back in Lafayette Projects where mm. I grew up at. And why was he so special? Was he was he the one that said, "Hey, man, I think you have the skills. I think you could be an NBA player one day." No, he was the one that taught me the game. He had be he had no idea NBA was in my thought process. It was just mainly learning the game of basketball. You know, I was a little sponge soaking up all that information from him. He was a diminutive uh, type of point guard back in his day, so um, I had to. You know, I was so blessed to be able to get that type of knowledge from that's amazing where is he at today he's back in baltimore you know and uh just got finished he talked to him last week because i got a book that i'm working on that's coming out oh i'm sure he's going to be part of your life story too that'll be good i mean are you so are you thinking are you thinking doing a book first and then uh turn it into a movie or a short series or something like that well, no, the book is being done. I had, I, you know, I did a book in 93 mm-hmm. when my pop passed away called right. In the Land of John. And uh, so we're just doing an updated book uh, right now, but and the movie is totally different. Well, that's awesome, man. Whenever that stuff's, uh, whenever that new book comes out, whenever the new movie comes out, make sure you stop back by here and promote that stuff because our fans will love it. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media and, and everything. 
Well, I'm on, I'm, you know, IG, you know, the real Muggsy. I'm on all the platforms out there. Uh, uh, I probably didn't, wouldn't know how to get there, but I'm on them. Um, <laughs> got my team. <laughs> um, so you can find us everywhere out there. You know, I got a podcast, you know, the three lead OGs with my boy Charles Oakley and Earl Curtin and Ashley Strollum. So we, uh, you know, we just oh, trying right. to, and we're on, we on, and we on all platforms as well. Speaking of Since, shit, yeah, speaking of shit, yeah, speaking of shit soccer, Charles Oakley. You're <laughs> just gonna skip over that. Say the name <laughs> of that podcast one more time. It's called the Three Lead OGs. Three Lead OGs. Yeah, we got we got we got T Mac on tomorrow. Oh, cool. Uh, so yeah, we got we got uh, Doctor J following him. Wow, that's a good oh, show. Wow. Yeah, we'll definitely tune in for those. I mean, that's uh, Charles Oakley. Uh, I wonder how many people he's just murdered. Like he, he's just, <laughs> like not even not even secretly, like on the on the NBA floors, and we just like they cut the commercial or something like that. That dude, uh, he protected Jordan for a little while, right? Yeah, he's the he's the big enforcer. Yeah. you know, he's the yeah. enforcer wherever he's protected MJ, Patrick. Yep. You know, Vince Carter mm-hmm. when he was in Toronto. So T Mac. Shit, yeah, Charles Oakley can't stay out of scraps even as a coach in the in the other league there. Man, he's he's already he's still talking shit. <laughs> he's great. He's great. He's still talking shit. <laughs> the, the big three. The big three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just like how the Madison Square Garden just does not like the old Knicks team. They don't. They asked for Patrick Ewing's ID last week. They wouldn't let Oakley come in and sit courtside. I don't understand what's going on at the at Madison Square Garden these days. I know. And then the Spike Lee situation as well. I mean, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. You know, three iconic guys that mean when you say New York, that's who the guys you kind of faces that pops up. Right. You know, so it's kind of hard to know that they being treated like that in their own building. Yeah, New York has changed. Luckily, you have not. Uh, Muggsy Bogues, thanks for being here today. Uh, we loved watching you play, man. Uh, glad to see you doing well. And uh, you have a standing invitation anytime you want to come back on, my man. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you guys, and thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Awesome. Check out Muggsy Bogues' podcast. Follow him on Instagram. And, uh, you know, if you want to slide on over to Drinking Bros Sports, rate the show a five-star and leave a quick review. It'll help us out as well. For D'Anthony, D'Anthony Holloway, Muggsy Bogues, I'm Ross Patterson. We are the Drinking Bros. Good night, everyone. <laughs>